Worship in the World is a screen-free worship experience brought to you by Downtown Church. Downtown Church is a community of unfinished people based in Columbia, South Carolina. We believe in asking honest questions while we strive to follow Christ within our own communities, loving people wherever they find themselves on their faith journey. Thank you for being with us today. Screaming and a shouting, go up, tell it on the mountain. Faith too strong to be left out. Way of the triune God. I don't need the pills you take just to feel the spirit moving. Brother, I ain't slept in days, all without the drugs you're using. Fit me for the builder's use. Use me for the great commission As it was and always will As it is, I'm here to witness that Old time screaming and a shouting Go up, tell it on the mountain Faith too strong to be left out in the way of the triune God Gave me quiet a talking to him Gave it to me strict in charge Something simple I can ponder Till the roll is called on high Till we all meet over yonder Old time screaming and a shouting Go up, tell it on the mountain Faith too strong to be left out In the way of the triune God I don't need the pills you take just to feel the spirit moving Brother, I ain't slept in days All without the drugs you're using Fit me for the builder's use Use me for the great commission As it was and always will As it is, I'm here to witness that Whole time screaming and a shouting Go up, tell it on the mountain Faith too strong to be left out The way of the triune God Jesus said he'd go before Come back when the house was finished All your sin and wage and war My God's coming any minute Old time screaming and a shouting Go up, tell it on the mountain Faith too strong to be left out With way of the triune God Way of the triune God Let us pray. God of creation, God of new beginnings. Each new day is a gift. And God, we thank you for this one. And on this new day, God, help us to listen. Help us to grow and help us to love. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
talking about forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness for six weeks, because we know forgiveness is really messy uh, when you've actually tried to do it uh, in reality. So each week, as we always do, we're going to practice forgiveness. We're going to practice being honest with ourselves, being honest with God, saying the prayer of a mission where we say, hey God, we mess up. We hurt people. We hurt ourselves. We hurt others. We hurt this beloved community. Help us to be better. So let us pray together the prayer of admission that's found in your program. Let us pray. God, you forgive us 
but we often refuse to offer it to others. We don't believe that people can change. Help us to change. Help us to love. Give us the courage to follow your ways. the good news is that we are forgiven. We think about Christ. We think about Christ who hung from the cross and he looked out and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Friends, we still don't know exactly what we are doing and we are still forgiven. Given a chance to try again to forgive others. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now I'd like to invite the Slife and the Carton family to come forward to receive the sacrament of baptism. And as they come forward, I was meeting with a few youth this week who are wanting to get baptized. And we were talking about what baptism means and a simple way that I learned in seminary. You don't have to go all the way over there. You can sit right here. Um, like people on my left. Um, is that baptism and our sacraments are, inv- are visible signs of an invisible grace. Visible signs of an invisible grace. We can't see that God loves us so much, but we can pour this water out on our children to remind them that they have been cleansed, they have been claimed, not just by God, but by this church community. Thanks be to God for that. So this morning, Keegan and Heather present their son, Finley, and Sam and Kristen present their son, Roscoe, to receive the sacrament of baptism. Today, we proclaim boldly that Finley and Roscoe are recipients of the covenant of grace. In baptism, God claims them as God's own, welcoming them into this family of faith and as citizens in the kingdom of heaven. We are encouraged because in no stage of life are we truly separated from Christ and the bonds that we have with one another. Finley and Roscoe, may you always remember that you are not alone. Your parents, your church family, and Christ are with you always. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as he delivered to his disciples after his resurrection. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, so go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. By water and by the Holy Spirit, we are made members of the church, the body of Christ, and joined in Christ's ministry of love, of peace, and of justice. So let us remember with joy our own baptisms as we celebrate this sacrament. So I've got some questions. First, to the parents, to Sam, Kristen, Heather, and Keegan. Having heard these words, I ask you the following questions. 
Do you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Relying on God's grace, do you promise to live the Christian faith, to embody hearts of service and love, and to teach that faith to your children? Now to the congregation, do you as members of the Church of Jesus Christ promise to guide, support, and nurture Roscoe and Finley through words and actions, with love and prayer, will you encourage them to know and to follow Christ and to empower them to be a faithful member of the church? If so, enthusiastically say we do. We do. Let's pray. God, we know that life is not always easy. To follow your son, to follow Christ is to die alongside him. But to follow Christ is also to be resurrected with him when the world seems hard to Finley and Roscoe, when the church, when their parents, when their friends and their pastor and family mess up, we give thanks that you, O God, do not. We give thanks that your presence will not leave them, nor will it leave us. We thank you for this water of baptism. Let it seal your children and welcome them into your kingdom of undeserved love, radical grace, and abundant life. Amen. What is the name of your son? Finley Slife. Finley. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Finley, child of the covenant, may you come to know everything Christ has commanded and know that he loves you and is with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Good morning. <clears throat> and a nod to uh, Finley's familiar roots, I'd like to offer up an Irish blessing on the day of his baptism. May God grant you always a sunbeam to warm you, a moonbeam to charm you, a sheltering angel so nothing can harm you, laughter to cheer you, faithful friends near you, And whenever you pray, heaven to hear you. Amen. Nice job, buddy. Getting excited. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what's the name of this boy? Roscoe Thomas. Roscoe Thomas. Roscoe. I baptize you in the name of the Father of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Let us pray. Roscoe, child of the covenant, may you come to know everything that Jesus Christ has commanded you and know that he loves you and is with you to the end of the age. Amen. Father God, we gather to continue the psalmist promise, and as our parents have done before us, to teach one generation to the next of your great love and faithfulness. Thank you, Father God, for all the family and extended church family who have gathered with us today to surround Roscoe and to guide him, and to surround Sam, Kristen, and Maggie as they teach him that he is fearfully and wonderfully made and that you will always be with him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So church family, remember those promises that you made to guide, to nurture, to love, to show up 
for these children and the 45 other kids we've baptized in the last few years. So remember those, this is the greatest news. I might just preach with you, man, you're chilling. (laughs) I encourage you to welcome these newly baptized children as brothers in Christ and our newest members of downtown church during Holy Interruption. Hallelujah, amen. Quick announcement, the tiny theologians are meeting after church. So our tiny theologians are seven to 11 year olds and they're meeting every Sunday after church in Lent and they'll meet um, in the back corner there, check in with Miss Abigail and they're gonna be learning about forgiveness, kind of paralleling what we're doing in worship. So that's from 11 to 12.30, lunch is included. Make sure you sign in with Abigail before you just leave your kid and run off. That happens. Um, So as we mentioned earlier, we're talking about forgiveness and I struggle with forgiveness. Uh, And for the next six weeks, we will be struggling with forgiveness together. Wrestling with the cornerstone of our theology with the apex of Jesus's ministry and the decision to forgive and be forgiven. And today we're starting out simply with the hope for some sort of a definition. What is forgiveness? What can it do? Where can it lead us? And we're looking at one of Jesus's most famous parables from Luke 15, 11. Hear now God's word for us. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me a share of the wealth that will belong to me. So he divided his assets between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant region. And there he squandered his wealth in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the region and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the region who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough have bread enough and to spare. But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then the brother became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all those years, I've been working like a slave for you and have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never even given me a young goat 
so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured all of your assets with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of God to us, the people of God, thanks be to God. I've always been amazed uh, when a plant or a tree can grow out of a crack in the rock or just a small break in the concrete. I remember hiking Angel's Landing in Zion National Park. And we're climbing this massive 1,400-foot shark fin of ancient sandstone. Gardner and I are watching every step, hand glued to this chain so that we don't fall to our doom. And amidst this rocky desert, almost Mars-like landscape, we look out and see a ponderosa pine tree all by itself. And its roots are not dug into soil or clay or something fertile, but they're dug into the cracks in the rock. A bloom in the desert, you might say. You don't have to go hiking in the high desert of Utah to witness this phenomenon. Any amateur landscaper knows how weeds can find enough footing in that two millimeter crack in your driveway to pop up a dandelion. Or if you go walking in my neighborhood, you can look 20 feet up at my neighbor's house at their chimney and see a bush of unknown origin sprouting out of the cracks in the brick. And when I take time to think and notice these cracks, the brokenness in the rock, I think about our own, our own jagged, rough, shattered selves with ruptures running deep, the places where we don't feel entirely whole, the scars left over from where we beat each other down without batting an eye. And so any sermon on forgiveness must first address the brokenness that makes it necessary, the sin that makes it necessary. If we never hurt anyone, if things didn't fall apart, then forgiveness would just be hypothetical. It would be a theological conundrum that they debated in lecture halls and coffee shops, but it's not. It's real. It's debated in our hearts, in our minds every day. And it's real in this scripture, this story, the brokenness of this family, of these sons, it's evident. I mean, try to imagine what the father is feeling when his baby boy runs away, not ready for a world that's going to chew him up and spit him out. Imagine what the older brother feels when he doesn't get the attention, the love that he thinks he deserves for being faithful and disciplined. Imagine how the prodigal son feels when he wakes up alone and desperate in a distant land, scared after he loses everything. The story is one of a broken family full of broken people. And whether we like it or not, this church is full of broken people. And when we acknowledge that, when we peer deep into our own brokenness, we can start to see not just what forgiveness is, but why it is so necessary to help mend and create God's beloved community. 
but we resist it. Even though it's arguably the cornerstone of Christ and his teaching, we don't think forgiveness is fair. I don't think forgiveness is fair, which arguably is fair. Fred Craddock was leading a Sunday school class on this parable, and during the lesson, he noticed a man in the back of the room, and he looked particularly upset. He was given off all the signs, arms crossed, furled brow. I don't see anyone like that right now yet, um, but he didn't look happy. And he knew this man. He was a regular. He was a God-fearing churchgoer. He knew his Bible. He loved his church, but for some reason, he was not happy with this lesson. So Craddock called back to him, Jimmy, there's something wrong. The man shook his head. The boy should have gotten what he deserved, is what he said. The boy should have gotten what he deserved. Jimmy's opinion is not unique. Every time I hear this parable, I relate. Yeah, it's awesome that the younger brother is back and all, but what about the one who stood by his father's side? What about his obedience, his work ethic, his dedication? And those things matter. Jesus in his teachings and his example leave no doubt that they do. But it's not Jesus' priority here. Jesus is teaching forgiveness. On seeing brokenness and being like the Father and choosing to mend. On seeing pain and practicing care. On choosing to continue the relationship and offer grace along the way. And this is where forgiveness gets really difficult. Because to believe in the forgiveness of God means that it applies to everyone. It applies to the son who spent his money recklessly. It applies to the coworker who we think doesn't deserve it. It applies to the one deemed a criminal locked away in a cell. It applies to us to all of us. On March 10th, 1995, hundreds of former civil rights leaders and Christian faithful gathered in St. Jude's Church in Montgomery, Alabama. And they gathered to commemorate the 30-year anniversary of the Civil Rights March from Selma to Montgomery. And in attendance was a rather interesting guest. It was George Wallace. George Wallace, the former governor of Alabama, the four-time presidential candidate, the longtime outspoken voice of segregation. George Wallace, who decades earlier had stood in front of the school doors attempting to keep Vivian Malone and James Hood from entering a previously all-white University of Alabama. George Wallace, who declared in his 1963 inaugural address as governor, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. George, the epitome of brokenness, who in his political career had fractured our country with policies that were racist and downright hateful. But George had taken an interesting turn, an imperfect turn, towards humility, towards introspection, and for asking for forgiveness. In 1979, he made an impromptu visit to Dexter Baptist Church in Montgomery, the same church where Martin Luther King pastored in the 50s, and he was pushed forward to speak, literally pushed, having been paralyzed by a gunshot wound. And he was living in constant physical pain. And he said, I think I can understand some of the pain black people have come to endure. 
and I know that I contributed to that pain. And I can only ask for your forgiveness. Years later, in 82, he spoke to a group from the Southern Christian Leadership Conference saying, I did stand with the majority of the white people for the separation of schools, but that was wrong. I was wrong, and that will never come up again. And at St. Jude's in 95, in a statement read for him, he was too sick to speak. Wallace told those in the crowd, many who had marched 30 years before, that much had transpired since those days. A great deal has been lost and a great deal has been gained. And here we are. My message to you today is welcome to Montgomery. May your message be heard. May your lessons never be forgotten. Now, I can't imagine what that felt like for Wallace to say those words, to ask for forgiveness. And I really can't imagine what it felt like for the black people in the crowd, especially for Vivian Malone or James Hood. Oh, he's not sincere, probably snickered some. I just can't forgive him. He's caused too much pain. It's fair. Many were still angry and rightfully so. But I want to believe that Wallace changed. And if not that much, to at least stand in curiosity, to hope that maybe, just maybe, the face of segregation, of racism in the deep south of the white nationalist gospel, if that man can ask for forgiveness, if he can receive forgiveness from the very people he hated, detested, and disenfranchised, then maybe we all might. And let me be clear, forgiveness is not ignoring the crack, the break in the rock, or acting like it didn't happen. Dr. King said, forgiveness does not mean ignoring what has been done or putting a false label on an evil act. It means rather that the evil act no longer remains a barrier to the relationship, which can feel foolish. Forgiveness is a bit foolish. Because to forgive is to let go of power. To let go of that grasp you have on someone when they have wronged you. I mean, I'll forgive you, but I won't forget. You hear that a lot. I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. I'll forgive you, but I'm going to bring it up. A lot. Like, a lot. <laughs> I forgive you, but remember, you owe me. You owe Owe me, you owe me. What was it that Jesus said? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But to forgive debts, we must first acknowledge that they exist. And to do so can open deep wounds. Deep wounds in Montgomery, in Columbia, in our own hearts and souls. You know, in my experience in wilderness medicine, I've learned about literal wounds. And once bleeding is controlled on a wound, if you can, you want to clean it out to help prevent an infection. And I remember Julia. She was 14, and we were on a week-long backpacking trip in the North Cascades in Washington. And it was day one of our backpacking trip. So I know she'd have to deal with this wound for a while. And she comes up to me in distress and says, Lucas... My leg's infected. My leg is infected. And I'll go, oh, okay. 
And I looked at her knee and I stared down a small half-inch scrape. I looked at it closely and seeing no signs of infection, I told her, well, Julia, we can treat it for an infection, but it would mean ripping off the scab, getting out my first aid kit and my syringe and irrigating it with clean water. And for some reason, the thought of that gave Julia a newfound confidence in her body's ability to heal. (laughs) She said, actually, I'm good, Lucas, and walked away. Cleaning a wound means getting in there, flushing it out, getting out all the dirt, the rocks, the bacteria, the mess that would make for a nasty infection and a much larger problem down the road. And yes, that's painful, but I do believe it's necessary for healing. And I can't understate how painful forgiveness can be but I do believe that it is necessary for healing, for mending our breaks. One of my friends and mentors, Steve Harrington, gave me some advice recently. He said, cultivate the broken parts in your life. Embrace them. Dig into them. Because it is in our brokenness where grace is poured out where forgiveness is required, where God shows up in us and through us. Cultivate the broken places. I really think that's what George was trying to do. After he finished what he had to say in Montgomery, Joseph Lowry, a leader of the original march from Selma to Montgomery and now the president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, spoke. And Joseph said, thank you for coming out of your sickness to meet us. You are a different George Wallace today. We both serve a God that can make the desert bloom. We ask God's blessings on you. I'm not telling you to forgive him. I'm not telling you to forgive the prodigal son. I'm not telling you to forgive anyone that's wronged you. At downtown church, we don't like telling adults what to do. The only person who can forgive someone is one who's been wronged. So take what you learn and do with it what you will. But I will say, and I can say with some confidence and a ton of foolish hope, that forgiveness does lead better, lead somewhere better than where we are now. That forgiveness begins to mend our brokenness, not with cheap lies or superficial apologies, but with God's grace poured out in us and through us. Abundant, real, messy, hard grace that comes from a God who can make the desert bloom. You know, I'm always amazed at what can grow out of cracks and rocks and the brokenness of our lives. If only we let it. Thanks be to God. Amen. Then the rainstorm came over me And I felt my spirit
love. Love's divine. Please forgive me now. I see that I've been blind. 
I encourage you to take this program home and maybe that might be your prayer for you when you wake up every day. What beautiful words and sung and played beautifully by our musicians. Thanks be to God for y'all. Friends, this is a table of love. This is a table of welcome. When we come together for the Lord's Supper, we don't come excluding anyone. We don't come asking for tickets or asking for some kind of requirement of faith or sureness in who you are or who God is. All we ask is that you come forward, that you come to be loved, to be seen, to be known as an imperfect, imperfect human being, but made in God's image, made to be forgiven, made to forgive. So come to this table. You might come with a lot of confidence. You might come very cautiously. Let us come together. Will you please join me in the great prayer of thanksgiving as found in your program. The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Oh, heavenly God, it is right to give our thanks and praise. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for this church, this wonderful church of people, God. And we thank you for the way that your spirit dwells here, dwells in us. We ask that you might equip us to go out into the world to spread that love, to spread that forgiveness to those who need it, to the darkest parts of the city, to the darkest parts of our soul. We praise you, joining our voices with the choirs of angels and with all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we pray together the prayer that your son Jesus the Christ taught us, saying together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Friends, on the night when Jesus would be betrayed and arrested, he gathered his friends, his disciples, for a meal. And afterwards, after giving thanks, he took bread, just ordinary bread, and he broke it. And he looked at them. He said, friends, this is my body. And it is broken for you, for all of you. Whenever you eat of this, remember me. In a similar way, he took a cup. And he poured out wine and he said, this cup holds the new covenant, which is sealed in my blood, shed for forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink from this cup, remember me. So friends, as often as we eat of this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Lord until he comes again. Thanks be to God.
Amen. Now invite the elders to come forward. We'll be taking communion by intinction. There'll be one station at the front and then four across. Um, The one at the front will have grape juice and gluten-free bread. All the others will have regular bread and wine. Friends, this is God's table. Come and be filled. Let's pray. Loving God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this bread and for this wine, knowing that it is not just bread and it is not just wine. And we are not just ordinary people, God. We are your people, called to do the extraordinary work of loving you, of loving our neighbor, especially when it's hardest to do, of forgiving ourselves, and forgiving our neighbor, especially when it is hardest to do. God, we give you all the glory. We ask for wisdom for our leaders locally and all over the world so that decisions might be made for the goodness of the entire world, God, for all of your creation. God, be with us this week. Be with us on this day. It's in your name we pray, amen. I invite you now to rise in body or spirit as we sing our final song, We Are One in the Spirit. May we realize our brokenness. May we realize the places where we are fractured, are cracked. 
And may we see what might grow out of them if we choose forgiveness. As we go from this place, may the peace and the love of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds until we meet again. Friends, go in peace. Amen. If you feel compelled to support the church financially, you can give a secure gift online at downtownchurch.me forward slash give.